0: Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. My name is Brooke McCallery.
1: My name is Ben McCallery. Welcome to the second episode of our brand new season where you talk to the delightfully wonderful, and for those that watch Gardening Australia, they'll be familiar with this person, Hannah Maloney.
0: I was so excited.
1: You were awestruck.
0: I was. So... I mean, look—that's very evident at the beginning of the conversation I have with Hannah when I think I say something dorky like, "She's my John Lennon." (laughs) Oh my god!
1: (laughs) Okay, Ringo, you better settle down.
0: (laughs) What a knob! (laughs) I wrote her an email after, and I'm like, "So sorry about that."
1: Hope I'm definitely including that. I may have, you know, may have edited that out, but not anymore. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> I am very cool and we should totally be friends Hannah. Ignore that previous comment. Uh, no, I have been a fan of Hannah's since seeing her for the first time on Gardening Australia. She's a guest presenter
1: down in Tassie. Yeah, just had. Yeah. Got awesome garden in Tasmania. Just permaculture designer yeah. and
0: um just the way she presents her work and her philosophy is so joyful and we actually talk about that in our conversation today and, you know, why she sees that as part of her job but not necessarily part of her day-to-day is a really cool kind of insightful conversation. But Hannah has also written a book called The Good Life.
1: How to Grow a Better World.
0: That's the one. And you probably have seen it around because it features Hannah's smiling face on the cover. She's a magnetic personality is the way that nice I would describe way to describe her. to describe her, yeah. Yeah, so we have a really juicy conversation actually about – You know, permaculture, yes, but more so how we can use, and I really appreciated this, our values, Mm -hmm. uncovering our personal values and using them to drive change in our own living circumstances, whatever they are. Because not everyone can live on a permaculture property, you know, outside of Hobart. Not everyone can live in the country like we do. Not everyone wants to. Mm. You know, so we talk a lot about how using your values to align your behaviours where you find yourself is the most powerful act of change um, that we can each make, particularly if you're someone who cares, you know, yeah. someone who who gives a shit, and Hannah obviously is, uh, which also brings us to talk about burnout, You know, and when you're someone who cares, as I can attest to, it takes a toll. So, you know, what does care look like? What does regeneration of the self of, you know, your heart look like? Part of that conversation actually dovetails into... Our conversation, mine and yours, com- conversation about health and yeah. physical activity, mm-hmm. it's not something that we talk about much in the space of slow living slow and intentional living. living. It's yeah. like people are always talking about mental health, which of course is so, so important. Physical movement gets brought into it. It's like yoga or so true. You know, spending time out bushwalking, that kind of stuff, but yeah. lifting weights, going to the gym, that's not the sort of thing that, that gets spoken about. And I mm. think it's really, like it's an important perspective to mm. add to the conversation.
1: Yeah, I think so too. You got off this conversation. You said something really interesting that Hannah is an activist but got but burnt out and gave too much or something. I can't exactly remember what you said, but it was a really interesting takeout from this conversation.
0: I can't remember exactly what I said either, but that was a that's a big part of, you know, the discussion that she and I mm. have is like where do you go when you've given too much? Yeah, you know, it's not about getting, but it's about refueling and recalibrating, and uh, you know, what does that look like? So we talk about rest, we talk about healing, nice, um, and again regeneration.
1: Themes back to to care. Yeah, now care is available on the website for personalised copies, as is slow and destination simple. I know you mentioned it last week mm-hmm. that. People can can purchase those. There is a cut-off date if you'd like it for Christmas, though.
0: Yes, there is. So uh, that is the 24th of November if you live outside of Australia and the 8th of December, I think, um, if you're in Australia. And that's, yeah, for signed, personalised copies for yourself or for a gift. Uh, and also we are sneaking towards the release date for the audiobook of Care, which comes out on the 1st of December.
1: Is that, unit like, across the world, across the universe? No. It's no. not. It's
0: okay. uh, Australia, New Zealand. Yep. I'm, so I know that you can, anywhere in the world, order a copy of Care, like a print copy of Care via book depository. Mm. I'm not sure if they will yeah. also source the audiobook. I don't know how that works. So Different
1: I, time, different conversation to yes. have.
0: <laughs> but if you are able and if you would like to, you can absolutely pre-order the audiobook of Care now. But in the meantime, I would definitely recommend that you check out Hannah's um, profiles, I guess, online. Her website is goodlifepermaculture.com. And she has a blog there, which is full of really, really helpful information about um, not only permaculture, but intentional living. She has a fantastic YouTube channel where she brings out a weekly video, I think. All sorts of practical applications of, you know, either activism in the home or um you know in your garden things to grow what to do uh and also on instagram mm. good life permaculture so i will obviously include all of those links in the show notes and and I watch really gardening australia as well definitely watch gardening australia just because it's so relaxing yeah it is yeah it's like the australian gardening version of great british baker <laughs> not obviously in terms of content but in terms of how i feel after it
1: hannah is the noel fielding of uh, great british See, well. that's why i love it. yeah enjoy the conversation
0: well hannah 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 <laughs> hello hello how that's are good. you oh it's good to be talking to you brooke yeah oh it's wonderful to be talking to you i just have to say just for like a second i am absolutely thrilled to talk to you because i watch you on gardening australia oh. um <laughs> and <laughs> you're a little bit like um like my John Lennon or something whoa <laughs> no, no none none whatsoever um I don't know I just I really admire the way that you present you know the way you live but also the way you present yourself and um you have such joy in the heart of everything that you do and mm-hmm. I find that magnetic so um oh. before we jump into our conversation proper I just wanted to to lay that out at you <laughs> thanks mate that's that's a bit, that's a bit lovely <laughs> Well, I mean, um, let's dive straight into it. I want to congratulate you on the release of your book, The Good Life, How to Grow a Better World. It is genuinely a beautiful book and so warm and um, heart-centered. So well done on that, because I can only imagine that pulling that together over the last 12 months plus would have been really challenging. How did you land there at the timing? Like, How was the timing for you, I guess, in pulling that book together? Yeah, look,
2: in hindsight, it was a little bit crazy to do it. Um, but in the I'm, I'm a type of person where I just, I see a good opportunity, I'll just do it and I'll make it work. Um, I was approached by the publishing company Affirm Press um, in the middle, like towards the beginning of COVID. And mm-hmm. we, and we were so busy here in the in Tasmania because of the type of work we do. There's increased demand for people to learn how to grow food and get support in doing that in our local community. So I'm always really busy but I was really busy and then Mm. a firm press reached out and said oh we'd love to write a book with you I'm like oh thank you but no thanks I I don't know how to write a book and I'm really busy you know there's already heaps of books in the world (laughs) Um, but they kept persisting which I'm really grateful for and we landed on a yes because uh, we talked lots of conversations around the state of the world and the climate emergency and the, the dominant narrative is quite Depressing. It's doom and gloom, and we need more diverse voices chiming in, going, "Yes, the facts are big and scary, and how can we move forward into a place of opportunity and create a just world for everybody?" And that's where I'm like, "Yeah, we need more voices in that space." Um, so I, I landed on it by going, you know, I, I try to shape my life, shape my life around how to be a good activist in mm-hmm. every possible way. And I'm like, "Oh, here's another opportunity to share." Um, an active voice about how the world can be and to remind ourselves that we have everything we need. We're already equipped with the, the amazing skills and knowledge in our world. And if we just remind ourselves about what our values are mm-hmm. and center them in our way of life, I really believe we can turn the ship around quite quickly. Yeah.
0: Oh, I agree hundred percent. Values is at the centre of everything that I have ever written about, Um, even Mm. if I didn't know that that was what I was writing about in the beginning. It was just, you know, learning, doing the inner work Mm. to understand your personal why. And Mm. I don't know about you, but I I imagine it might be a similar situation. Once you know what your values are, things don't necessarily get easier, but they get simpler. Yeah. Yeah because you're able to build on that foundation of, well, this is why I'm here. This is why this is important to me. This is why I will sacrifice. And, you know, um, this is why I will get noisy, even if I'm uncomfortable, whatever it might be, whatever you find yourself up against. Um, I was so thrilled to see uh, you write about values in the book, because I think that it's something that we probably all understand on some level. But to be able to put language around it is really yeah. powerful. Have you always been um, a value-centred person?
2: Well, in, I can say yes, but I didn't always have language around it. And, and I think that's been a really important thing. A lot of people are starting to articulate these types of things more clearly, but also oh, there's so many things we need to put better language around. If we're going to create this different world, we need better language about what those opportunities look like and what that requires of us. And so... In, yeah, in hindsight, I can look back and go, I was definitely follow, following my gut or following my heart, however yep. you want to say it. Um, and and then as I, you know, have become more widely read and done a lot more thinking and taken more time to for deep reflection, I've just gone, okay, let's let's think about this properly and how do we want to communicate this so that I can express the importance of it. And I really mm. think it's really important, regardless of where you are in the world and what kind of life you're living everyone can connect with their values and I write about in the book how that can be at the working at a checkout in a big supermarket or in a hospital bed or in a busy school environment busy family environment whatever it might be values are for everyone they're for any anywhere anytime and I Mm. think that's a really empowering thing to grab onto I, I just think when people say oh what's the one thing you want people to do from your book I'm like articulate your values and the other two things I want them to do is vote for climate safe policies and move your money out of fossil fuel based funds. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's good. That's accessible. That's what I yeah. love about it. Like everything is accessible, right? Yeah. It's something that we can all um, recognise within our scope of, of capacity regardless. Uh, yeah. But I think particularly, as you say, the language around values and making it something that is applicable to all of us really removes the idea of what like an activist should look like or you know and I think that that is that's something that really holds a lot of us back at some points in our lives that you know I don't have the capacity I don't have the money I don't have the time I don't have the energy whatever to make a difference what you've done is strip it way back and you're Mm. like Everything you do can make a difference.
2: Everything. And I've really been reclaiming that word activist because in our culture, it's, it's a dirty word. Yep. And it's for people who are, you know, often younger, they don't shower enough, and they need to get a job. Right, <laughs> that's exactly. It's a, a stereotypical image that media will paint for us and politicians as well. And I think, I think actually, no, activism just means that you really care. Yep. And that can manifest in so many different ways. It might be frontline activism, where you might be locking on or climbing a tree. But it might be that you become a politician or you a really mindful citizen of the world and, and just are mindful about how you vote and communicate mm-hmm. with the people around you. It might be that you're an active community change maker, organising people to do things in your local community. Like There's literally something for everyone. And I think the more that we reclaim activists as a positive language and, and explore what that means for you in your context... I think it's um, a great enabler for how do we can move forward in these weird mm. times. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, the root of the word is act. Like, yeah, to do.
2: that's it's, it. It's a beautiful
0: world. It, word. Is. <laughs> it is. It's a beautiful yeah. world too. But it's yeah, a beautiful it. world. <laughs> yeah. So I think going back to what you what you mentioned at the the beginning of our conversation about being super busy when COVID kind of struck I'm curious as someone in your role as a permaculture designer and educator how have you seen our attitudes our um, relationships you know the way we view ourselves as part of community mm. change over the last couple of years?
2: Oh I think that's such a good question and i um, with COVID, it was such a sudden returning to mm. local community, like a very sudden returning. And that's why we were we were really busy with our, you know, our day job, as I call it, which is lots of permaculture design and workshops, but also really busy just doing voluntary work to support people to go, okay, here's free resources. Here's a good workshop. Um, do this. Don't do that. You know, setting up little food share stands in our neighborhood and really busy and it's something that people go. Oh, are you disappointed that that started to um, wane, Hannah, quite mm. quickly? And I'm, I'm, you know, my short answer is no. It's it's human nature to seek out the easy way of life, and that's not a bad thing. It's a it's a human nature thing, and if you look across the world in times of crises in modern history and and before that, you'll see people come together in times of crises, really suddenly and quickly, stay for as long as it serves the need, and then they'll dissipate into easier ways of life and that's not to say that coming together it can't be easy but it is it requires huge behavior change huge Mm. change and I think when the pressure is off people will gravitate to what is more comfortable to them coming together isn't always comfortable right and I don't think that's a bad thing but it is a thing (laughs) so um and there is a often we paint a utopian vision of the the world where we're all living in community. We're all together. Everyone's working together all the time and we share everything. That's actually super hard for a lot of people. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I think particularly the way that we have spent the last 20 years or so living, you know, we become increasingly siloed in our communities, in our homes, you know, technology has in some ways contributed to that, but also in other ways it has broken down barriers you know Mm. I would never be able to have spoken to you if it wasn't for tech Mm. Uh, so you know it's it's not necessarily a negative thing but I do think that there is a huge level of discomfort in that that large sense of community for people because it speaks to our vulnerabilities I think
2: yeah oh absolutely and I think with extended crisis, I think that behaviour change would normalise, people would grow up in that culture and it would be, become a, the way of life. Yep. And Right now we are very much, you know, living in our silos and that's that's a thing, that's what's happening and that's not a, But I think when we have the option to return to what our normal is, of course we would go back to what our normal is mm. um, because that's what feels safe to a lot of people. And so I don't think it's a bad thing that people return to normal life. Uh, I do think it's incredible how quickly we can come together when we need yeah. to. I have huge, that gives me huge hope and a lot of it's like a sanctuary thought for me. I'm like, yeah, when when we need to, we're gonna come back together. I yeah. really love that. And I know how quick things can happen. I know we can establish really good local food systems really quickly because we've got the skill sets. We've got, you know, I can I know the empty paddocks I would dig up if I had to. And <laughs> like there's all these things. That I know in my local valley and region, and and broadly in Lutruwita and Tasmania, I know we we can come together, yeah, I think that's having those relationships in place and those conversations in place is what's really important. I'm not so desperate to have all the things in place
0: yeah yeah okay that's it that's what I mean what I carry and I think I love that phrase that you just used that sanctuary thought you know somewhere to retreat if things feel really hard there's that seed there's that like there's Mm. always that sense of hope in this you know this Mm. sanctuary thought I love that I've I've not heard that phrase before I I
2: had never said it before
0: (laughs) (laughs) you're very profound profound. I I just really like it, you know, it immediately felt like welcoming. Um, You know, but I I also like to think about the fact that, well, yes, we may kind of retreat back to our versions of normal. I do think that the last two years has planted seeds in all of us in how quickly we did come together in all of those acts of kindness that we saw, that we still see, Mm. Um, you know, in those moments of community or sharing or connection that have come during the last two years, like they may not have. An immediate massive effect on us, but mm. they they plant themselves down deep, and I think it it fundamentally mm. can change the way we view ourselves in the world and in our community, mm. which I think is that's something I hold on to.
2: Yeah, I really agree, and it, it feels hard for me most days. People yeah. uh, make a, a really kind assumption about me that I'm always happy and I'm always just spouting joy (laughs) sorry (laughs) it's it's a really it's it's, I'm like wow great my job I'm doing my job well is how I I'm like great and but I feel all the highs and all the lows and and as someone who watches the news quite closely I try not to too much I really you know it's a really bloody hard thing that's going down right now and and you can't skirt around that but you can choose how you respond to that um so that's why I really do focus and And that's why about in the book I really write about we've got to focus on our inner work if we're going to get through this. I think the more whole we are as our own selves, um, the better we can be in turning up to this world. I tried to I inherited a lot of skepticism around that kind of concept of inner work. I'm like, what is that? Yep. <laughs> but I, you can't, I, I just for me personally, I'm like, actually there's no other way. You just have to do the work. And that can be lots of different things for different people. Because if we actually want to be the most impactful we can be, that you have to you have to go through that hard you know, quagmire of stuff that you've Mm -hmm. inherited or you've you've built up over your life. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And it's just like unlearning and, you know, developing the the awareness and the language around the things that we have either been given generationally or that we have absorbed from society, you know, in general and kind of questioning things. You really do need to become, um, well, I've found that I need to become someone who questions things and who's Mm -hmm. like, okay, well, this is an assumption that I've carried with me for the last 30 odd years. So why what can I you know why and who is it serving so I think that that inner work and uh, I write about it in terms of you know developing a sense of care for ourselves and Mm. I think we land in the same place of it's really hard to affect positive change if you are burnt out husk of a human
2: yeah oh totally oh it's you just you're just useless to everybody including yourself yeah and
0: how sad is that? <laughs> exactly, you know, and it obviously means that you're someone who feels deeply, and and that's we need more of that in the world, not less. Mm. So, you know, I think we're doing an enormous disservice, understandably, but a disservice to ourselves and and you know the people and places we love by mm. kind of running ourselves into the ground. So, on that, do you have any practices or you know rituals that you that you do that help provide that sense of kind of being a well rounded Hmm. Human.
2: Yeah, I've actually developed some this year in particular because uh, I ran myself into the ground last year, and and no one would know except for my beautiful husband and my daughter <laughs> and my close friends. But so this year I really established some good structure around care, self care, and self love, if you like. And mm. so for me, that's really physical. Physical exercise is really grounding. So um, I do a lot of. I took up trail running this year, which is super hard. I'm not very good at it. <laughs> But it means I'm in the bush a lot, which yes. is close to our house. And, you know, so walking in the bush, running in the bush. And then I, I go to the a gym as well. I've taken up weightlifting, which is great for my body and, and my, also my brain. My brain's mm. so much happier. And then I also invest in going to a beautiful, um, really helpful counsellor every fortnight. And that's just, you know, I don't, I don't go with them with a clear problem. Often I just go, I'm like, okay, let's just like check in. Yes. <laughs> and that's been really helpful for me because I, I do overthink everything. I overanalyze everything and my beautiful counselor just goes, oh, let's just, let's just put a little pause here and just just, just step back. Let's step back and step back and see what's happening. And so, and then I, the other thing I've really done hugely for um, which is not not necessarily ritual, but I've slashed my workload this year, like, um, which has been a which was so confronting for me because I grew up as a workaholic and that was, a, that was the way you had to be in the world to be any worse. Mm-hmm. But now I just work, I still work five days, but probably around four days' worth of work across those days. And it means I've got a young daughter who's six and it means that, you know, we just hang out heaps and it's really fun.
0: <laughs> and that's like a, that's a perfect example of sort of yeah. unpacking that learning that you had had uh, yeah. over the years and saying, okay, this is one way. This is one way to do it. Mm. But what are the other options? You know, mm-hmm. I get the sense, forgive me if I'm wrong, that like you don't necessarily struggle too much with the idea of being countercultural in the way that you no, live. Not,
2: not anymore. Like um yeah. it it was all I grew up in Brisbane in West End, which is an inner city suburb, which is very alternative in the 80s and 90s. And I grew up, and that was it was super normal for me to be. In that, and to be like that in, in a very political household. So I understood the politics of the day and why the police weren't that great at that time. And <laughs> I had an understanding. But saying that, I got, I, got, I just get, get triggered, like just smashed at school, like for being different and thinking differently. Yeah, right. I would still get challenged by members of my family a lot for my choices in life because they were, even from them, quite different and they looked really different in how I wanted to live so you know over the past 25 plus years it's been a really nice change in our culture broadly but also within my close family circles as well where they no longer think I'm weird no longer think I'm so different that I'm problematic right <laughs> yeah um, because when you live differently people can can take that as a confronting thing like oh what that must you must think I'm doing something wrong yes. then yeah. I was like, well, not really. I just want to do something different. <laughs> yeah.
0: In fact, none of this is about you. It's about me. Yeah. Uh, there's a so real defensiveness, isn't there, that sometimes comes through um, yeah. as though, you know, the way that you choose to live, the way you choose to show up in the world is, you know, it's an insult to the way other people choose to live. Yeah.
2: So that's been like now I don't have that in my life anymore, which is great, and which is but that we took for a good decade, 15 years I did and so mm. was quite even when I wrote this book I was like oh I hope people don't think I just hope they they didn't think that I was trying to other them go I'm right you're bad you're wrong yeah um, I'm just trying to express um the conversation of our times and how we it, c- it can be happening and mm. how we could
0: move forward well you did that incredibly well so don't oh, <laughs> don't don't be afraid
2: anymore <laughs> yeah I think it, yeah it's, it's quite a it, having these conversations now are normal but where they used to be kind of semi-scary because we didn't know how it was going to go down. Yeah. yeah.
0: Which is why I asked you about your, you know, your feelings towards being kind of living counterculturally, because I know there's a lot of people who listen to our show who are in a similar headspace in that they want to make an impact. Um, but the fear is of of being othered, I think, is still mm. very much there for some people. Do you have any encouragement or, mm. you know, words of advice or things that have worked with you in potentially sticky conversations that help to kind of bring down the walls.
2: Sure. Look, um, like with people really close to me in my life, where I, where I had those conversations, I quickly learned to stop going, oh, or suggesting that they do things differently. I'm like, no, this is it's for them to choose and for them to decide and for them to come to things in their own time. And then after a while, I actually stopped having or initiating conversations mm-hmm. around this way of life. I was like. People can come to me if they want to talk to talk about it. And I'm really happy to respond. That was a really good shift. And my thinking was, I'm just going to get on and live the way I want to live. And hopefully people will be inspired by that or will be curious about that and, and ask questions. And when I did that, that was when I started having more traction in the world mm. and in my family, um, which we don't live geographically very close anymore, but they could see. Uh, I don't know what they saw, actually, but my impression <laughs> is that they went, "Oh, Hannah is doing well like in the world." I guess is yeah. my impression. Um, so they started inquiring more. So that, that's so. I guess my my advice is to not push it onto people and mm-hmm. to think about how what you can do for your own self. And in that can be tricky if you're living in a household um, where you have varying views and ways of life. But there's still things that you can do which where you can go okay I'm going to have control over this element of how I live and then and just go for it as much as you can within your capacity and 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 while it might hurt don't worry about what other people are doing or thinking um, because you can't control them like you cannot control anybody else exactly very real
0: (laughs) (laughs) and that's I think a lesson like you have to learn as an adult at some point Yeah. (laughs) yeah totally yeah uh, yeah, and I found much the same, you know, I think that just leading by example almost, but mm. not in a way that is living by example, but just, you know, living in the way that feels right and authentic to you and, you know, is attached to your values. There's something that is inherently interesting and fascinating and um, magnetic in that, I think, a lot of the time. Uh, and that's the only way I've ever um, being able to reflect back on and see that change has come from yeah. that it's not been from you you know finger pointing or haranguing and I think there's also a cost to to you as like the person who is um, trying to drive change uh, if you continue to put yourselves yourself into that that those conversations that really takes a toll on your heart mm. you know I used to think that being a good activist was kind of getting into it with people all the time and Mm. that was really soul crushing in the Mm. end what I've found is that living in the way that feels right for me and values aligned for me has presented me with so many other opportunities to have conversations even within my own um you know extended family that feel far more inclusive invitational Mm. um you know two-way
2: yeah yeah And that's how it's got to be, yeah. Yeah. But it's it's definitely a journey to get there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, 100% a journey. (laughs) Um, Now, one of the other things that you write to really well in the book and you also, I think, acknowledge just in the fabric of your work in general is the idea of various types of privilege and my sense is that using it I mean, the way I view privilege is it is opportunity, right? And opportunity gains its power if we share it. You know, is that something that you have had to grapple with over time or how do you overcome that that sense? of I'm assuming that you have the sense because I do. Yeah. <laughs> so apologies if you don't you know, know. Um, you know, that sense almost of guilt or heaviness when you acknowledge some of the privileges that you have and don't let it necessarily stop your efforts but in Mm. fact maybe drive them
2: yeah great question so the thing about privilege is that if you are privileged you don't realize you even have it because you're just like what's the problem everything's great (laughs) it's like that's how I grew up I was like what's like in a certain degree with some elements I was like what's the problem but then I quickly learned as a young adult when I did lots of traveling and research around social and environmental justice issues especially with first nation Australians um, and racism and the system that perpetuates that I was like Oh, oh, no, This is not good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I definitely experienced feelings of guilt as a white person, as a white ancestor, to people who perpetuated that were our first Nations people. And I think it probably did stop me from participating or speaking up because i I didn't know I didn't know how to speak without potentially offending people or I didn't know what the right thing was to say or I didn't know if it was my place to say anything. And then in recent times, I've like, oh, that's shit. Like, that's just, you know, silence is compliance, that kind of approach. I'm like, I'd much prefer, and this is my my current approach, is to keep talking up around issues, around racism, around, um, you know, justice and healing that's required, First Nations Australians and, and white people's role in helping to elevate that i'd hate i'm much more interested in just normalizing this conversation and understanding that i will make mistakes and i will offend people and understanding that i will have to learn and apologize and then keep talking and keep advocating because the more we're silent because it feels a bit uncomfortable, then the, 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 we're just, what are we doing? Like we're just perpetuating this shitness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so my, that was just a, a, you know, it was a values-based decision. I'm like, okay, just keep talking and be prepared to be smacked down every now and then, which is deeply uncomfortable for me. I don't want to upset anybody in the world. It's, mm-hmm. um, and so, but that's an unlearning. It's like, okay, you've got to keep moving. And Uh, And that's, that's great. I think so far it's going well. And I've only stepped up a few times, (laughs) Um, but it's just like, well, we, what else are we going to do? We have to try to do these things. If we want to start progressing these conversations. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Ben and I have, we, we have this, we revisit this conversation a lot, but you know, the, the awkwardness at the center of white people's conversations around first nations justice in australia it it stops things in its tracks you know it stops progress it stops it stops us from from digging in because discomfort is you know the thing that we tried desperately to escape mm. in every you know as you said earlier in the conversation like that's human nature but this is so vital yeah. to the soul of our country and yeah. healing and moving forward yeah um yeah and i think that Doing that in a work, going back a bit in our conversation, is important too because it helps us. I mean, you can do it privately. You don't have to. You don't have to lay it all bare on social media either. (laughs) You know, read and reflect and journal and uh, you know just spend some time listening to to that Mm. gut feeling that 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 you have um, and see where it leads you. But I think having a certain element of bravery yeah I think that's a really overblown word but you know being okay with being uncomfortable
2: yeah I think I think it was Nova Paris who's an incredible first nations woman and leader who I think I read something from her which says when you know when when white Australia embraces black Australia you lose nothing and you gain everything and it resonated with me so deeply I'm like yeah like we're living alongside the oldest living culture in the world there is so much to celebrate here, and how lucky are we to be in the situation where we could help um, elevate that culture to where it needs to be, and to be on, you know, walk side by side in this path to healing. Like that's an incredibly exciting opportunity. Yes. and I think when we get to that space, it's like, yeah, why wouldn't we want to
0: be here? <laughs> exactly. Why wouldn't we? You know, there yeah. is so so much to to learn um, and to celebrate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that excitement is a wonderful kind of place to land and to, to move forward from. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. The other thing that I wanted to, to talk to you about is your idea of home. You know, I feel like home is very much at the center of your book, um, in, in not necessarily a building or, you know, a Mm -hmm. garden centric way, but the idea of home, the idea of belonging, which is also community, I suppose. Do you have a definition of what home is for you?
2: I guess, it's that i don't know what other people experience but when i go when i feel like home you have that inside feeling where you can breathe out it's like oh and i guess it's a feeling of safety and being like the ultimate form of comfortable <laughs> just like yeah i am i'm am, i can be completely calm here and of course that can be a physical building a physical space a garden but i try, i try to Practice having that feeling of home anywhere, anytime. Mm. Because I think when we, when we, you know, when we're really comfortable, when we feel really safe, I think we think better and we're more clear and we're more intelligent because we're less muddled in our brain and in our heart. I'm really interested in that concept of how can you be at home all the time? Mm. Um, Because that feeling is so good. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's um, probably related at least to me in values you know i feel that sense of rightness when you know you're you're doing things in alignment um with your values and also i don't know i'm i'm enamored with the idea of noticing right like if i'm able to spend a little bit of time noticing usually natural tiny details um in the environment around me i i feel like that's a homecoming oh. um yeah, I think I I really embrace the art of noticing. Like that's probably one of my
2: go-to. Yeah. That's good though, because obviously it'll bring you back to that present moment in that time and yeah. you're looking at the thing and the thing is there and you're looking at
0: each other and you know.
2: Exactly. <laughs> that's a gorgeous act. Yeah.
0: Do you um practice any like meditation or mindfulness? I I
2: try, I aspire to. I can't say you try to. I do sporadically with meditation. For some reason, I find it hard to remember to do. And that's why I think the physical exercise for me is my, I call it like a moving meditation. Yep. I find it easier to do for some reason. Uh, but I am well aware of the benefits of med- meditation I have done in the past. it's It obviously works and it's, we should obviously all be doing it. <laughs> like
0: it's... <laughs> I think there's something really powerful in moving meditation. Um, It's so interesting that you said you started lifting weights. I've, just in the last six months, have been in the same situation. And I genuinely enjoy it. And that hour goes so quickly. And it's like, you can only focus on what you're doing in the moment. You really do need to be all in and switched on. Um, And there's something incredibly invigorating, I think, about being all in your body as Mm. well. And that means for me, I'm all out of my brain, which is really nice.
2: Yeah, that's a hundred percent for me as well. So I'll I'll be happier and just he- healthier in every possible way. And I've I've just been sick for a fortnight. My husband's like, Hannah, can you go back to the gym now because he can see my brain getting all weird and busy. <laughs> <laughs> like, yep, yep, going back. <laughs> so you know, not yeah. It's, it's, like, moving meditation is definitely a thing, and I think that just the quietening of our brains yep. and our minds is an ongoing ambition for me. Yeah Yeah.
0: well I mean when you look at how our brains operate if we're constantly in you know executive functioning mode like doing and writing and designing and working and talking and that's great because that's how we get things done but it leaves like a huge chunk of our brain power out of the conversation completely and it's when we do things um, that are repetitive or monotonous or almost like mindless in their familiarity that we're allowed to daydream and that's where creativity and you know those sparks of imagination where two completely separate ideas come together and there's fireworks and I think that going back to a more global kind of view we need we need creativity we need problem solving Mm. we need critical thought and I think anything that we can do to access that part of our brain is so it's so important and so mm. under underestimated, I think, in its power. Yeah,
2: and undervalued, I think, mm. as well. Like we do very much value that executive thinking because you get stuff done. It's very much capitalist thinking and doing, and that's that's hard. I, I I have um two milking goats here, and every morning I milk them, and I notice every time I have new thinking, and my like, well, my brain relaxes, and I'll just be staring at something, I don't know, staring at the sky. And I'm like, oh yeah, I've solved that problem, or. Mm-hmm of course you know things will just rise up and it's and it's that you know not like not monotonous but it's that repetitive thing of milking the goats um where i don't have to think about how to do it yeah where i get where i get a lot of yeah just relief i guess and um, mm. the more of that the better
0: <laughs> absolutely yeah how do you what's your relationship like with rest
2: oh it's getting better like i've um so i, I I got quite sick last year, where I just had chronic migraines, and mm. they was wouldn't go away, and it was really bad. And I was, I was, no one would notice, though. I call them, quite, they have a name, but you can still drive a car, you can still hold a work meeting, I could still teach a course, you know, I could, yep. I could do everything. But I, would, I was just really unhealthy. So I, I slashed my workload as, as I mentioned earlier, and my relationship to rest now is really good, <laughs> like to the point where I'm like,
0: I don't really feel like working. <laughs> some days <laughs> i think that's amazing you know and talking about it like yeah if ever I, I am if ever i'm in the same situation i feel kind of ashamed to say well yeah, i just decided naughty. to take the day off <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's another and probably not necessarily entirely accessible to most people but who aren't self-employed or don't have you know flexibility around work hours but i still think it's important to recognize that there are other options because you know that capitalist um, mentality will be the status quo until we have more conversations about what the other op- options and possibilities yeah. might be absolutely
2: yeah so my my like I still feel a little bit weird I still feel unsettled by this way of life because I like I'm very much a, grew up as a workaholic so it's, it's, it's going to take some unpacking but I'm really committed to being healthy, like I'm, like we can't do this work and you can't enjoy this life without um, if you're out looking after yourself, you know. Mm. And I've been given quite a good level of health, but I can see it being
0: compromised if I don't look after it. Yeah, yeah,
2: so that's really important.
0: I think it's wonderful. One final thing that I wanted to talk with you about is you write in your book uh, about sort of the importance of embracing the process rather than necessarily the results, you know, and kind of. Learning patience Mm. um, with the process. Is that something that you, I know you already touched on the fact that you were kind of a reforming workaholic, but um, is that something that was permaculture inspired or something that you have just learnt over, Mm. you know, the past few years of the work that you've been doing?
2: I think it's uh, for me, like it's a bit beyond permaculture, and I think more about activism Mm. and. The work that we're that people like ourselves are working towards is multi generational work. It's not something that we're going to, you know, fix or win in our lifetime. And like many generations before us, have been full of people working towards the similar things. And we're we're like a dot in time that has to connect the previous generation to the next generation in this work. And because I was highly anxious for a long time about, oh shit, we're not going to actually fix things in my lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> highly anxious around that. And I think uh, I read a book by Rebecca Solnit called Hope in the Dark. And I think it was in that book where she talks about that concept of generational thinking and generational activism. Yeah. And isn't that a beautiful galaxy to be part of? And that really helped my brain and to understand that uh, it really is all about the process of you know whether that's planting a garden or you know campaigning for um you know end of racism whatever that might be or to solve the climate emergency there's so many things that need our attention and to understand that we are we can move this conversation forward and it's never it's will it ever be finished i don't know it will definitely evolve though and we'll definitely have wins along the way and to understand that it's okay if we don't see everything resolve in our very brief life here yeah. and, that's maybe it's a coping mechanism but I also think is a really is a beautiful richness in there knowing that we are part of a very long story and mm. I really love that belonging I'm like yeah I love that
0: <laughs> I think that there's something so powerful in that like even yeah. as you were talking through that I felt like my shoulders dropped a little bit yeah I'm like Oh, we're part of it. We're part of it, which is wonderful, and that's that in itself gives you energy. I think to be part of something, but we're not it, you know. So it doesn't yeah. all rest solely on us. I mean, mm. I think we do as much as we can, absolutely. But yeah, that that idea of the dot to dot generation, mm. like generational change, is really beautiful. Um, yeah, and speaks to something very tired in me. I think. So I, <laughs> I can yeah. <laughs> yeah I know I think that's that's amazing and such a perfect way to, to wind up our conversation as much as I could talk to you for another hour um, <laughs> I just want to thank you for your time but also for the work that you put into the world it does it makes an enormous difference and I know sometimes it can feel you know writing is a bit of a lonely business so you can feel like you're putting this stuff out in a vacuum but um, the waves that you're creating with your work are very powerful so thank yeah. you
2: Thanks, Brooke, and it's been a real treat to finally get to meet and talk with you.
0: Oh, likewise. Let's do it again sometime. Okay, okay. (laughs) 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 Who is that? Hi,
1: Pug
2: Pass.